Now, we're talking today about Jesus, the healer. And in these passages, Isaiah is looking through the prophetic eye. You know, Old Testament prophecy, all prophecy amazes me. But here's Isaiah looking down the tunnel of time, centuries, many centuries. And he's looking at the future to describe the coming Messiah. He sees Jesus coming. And he sees it so clearly, he tells us all these things we just read about him. Spurgeon called the 53rd chapter of Isaiah the Bible in miniature, the gospel in its essence, and it really is. It's as if Isaiah somehow had a front row seat at Golgotha, and he's personally witnessing the terrible suffering of Jesus, just like he's watching a movie. It's like he's just watching it happen in front of him, and he writes down, in particular, what Jesus experienced, the minutiae of what he experienced. This chapter lays out the very heart of the gospel. Isaiah 53, you ought to go home and read it today. And the heart of the heart of the chapter is verses 4 through 6. No passages better explain why Jesus died on the cross than these, just 4 through 6. Through Isaiah, God reveals what Jesus' sufferings on our behalf would be in particular and what they would accomplish. Isaiah informs us, for instance, in this amazing, he says, I see him, and his physical appearance is average. It's nothing spectacular. There's nothing about him that attracts us to him physically. To put it in modern-day vernacular, he's not a looker. He doesn't look like these pictures of Jesus with the long blonde hair and blue eyes and the beard that we see in all these paintings. Uh -uh. If you saw him in a crowd, he did not stand out physically. It was, it was the inside that was like a magnet to people. He further informs us that he was despised and rejected by others. He knew what it was like to feel the sting of rejection, the pain of grief. Uh, Isaiah doesn't waste words because God doesn't waste words. When he says he's well acquainted with grief, that means grief visited him all the time because of what he bore, because of who he was, well acquainted with grief. Isaiah clearly foresees the day of Jesus' betrayal and beating and crucifixion. And he notes that in his hour of greatest need, you can start with the Garden of Gethsemane and move forward. When he's crying out and saying, God, if this can be removed from me, please remove it from me. But if not, thy will be done. His suffering began then. He sweated, as it were, great drops of blood. And from there, he went into 14 hours of torture. In his hour of greatest need, Isaiah says, I see them turning their backs on him and looking the other way. All the while assuming that everything happening to him, he brought on himself because he's a bad man. That's what Isaiah saw. Well, he's only experiencing that cross because he was a bad man. Like Job's counselors told him, you're going through all this because things you've, you've done. You've sinned, Job, obviously. And they were wrong. And, of course, everybody was wrong about Jesus because he didn't do anything wrong. Now, verses 4 through 6, the heart of the chapter, reveal the incredibly good news of what would be accomplished on our behalf through the sufferings and ultimate death of Jesus on the cross. This message today, it's going to be kind of strong in parts, but it's good news. Can everybody say with me good news? Say with me, I could use some. 
Amen? If you could use some good news, I'm going to give you some today because this is really good news. Now, let me tell you the first thing that Isaiah says. He says, first of all, Jesus, I see the suffering Messiah. He's coming, and here's what I see. He's carrying our griefs and sorrows. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So Isaiah sums up all the consequences of sin with two words, grief and sorrow. He said, if you want to know what sin does, you could have a whole litany, a whole library of adjectives to describe it, all the negative, painful consequences. But let me just wrap it up with two words, grief and sorrow. Now, let me tell you the truth about our planet. It is sin. If you wonder why there's so much suffering, it is sin that has brought such great pain into God's universe, sin. And we've all played a part because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a person in here who can say, well, I haven't sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And folks, let me tell you, sin brings pain every time. Sin brings pain every time. It recently just jumped out at me as I was looking over this chapter, getting ready for this message, how many times Isaiah uses the personal pronouns, our, we, and us. Listen to what he says. Our griefs, our sorrows. We esteemed him smitten of God. Our transgressions, our iniquities. We have gone astray. We have turned to our own way. The iniquities of us all. Clearly, we all paid a part in why Jesus died on the cross. Everybody who was going to die in the future, or sin in the future, and everybody who had sinned in the past, they all came together, and Jesus died for the sins of all mankind. Your sins, my sins, put him on that tree. Now, the old-time preachers, if you had gone back to the 1800s, 1700s, the old-time preachers told the truth about our world. And they would call this world a veil of tears. That's how they described our planet, a veil of tears. We're in a veil of tears. Now, now, yes, there's laughter on planet Earth, and people have fun and they enjoy life all the time. We have good times. You've probably laughed in the last couple of days. I hope you have. If you haven't laughed yet, go ahead and take a minute and laugh. It's good for you. But listen, let me tell you the truth. This world's a veil of tears. It's a veil of tears primarily. Behind every closed door of every house and home, there is pain. Pain from conflict with others. Pain from sin's consequences. Pain from rejection. Pain from disappointment and heartache. Pain from dashed dreams and shattered hope. Pain from sickness and disease. We live in a veil of tears. We live in a world marked by pain which is the direct result of sin. Thank God for the joy of the Lord. Because joy doesn't depend on a happening. Happiness depends on a happening. But joy doesn't depend on a happening. Joy comes from being right with God. And when you're right with God, you have joy. So we can rejoice even in a world that is a veil of tears. But when you look out there, you ought to do what I do for about a week or two. And you would see that We live in a world of pain, that people hurt and suffer and and, and go through trials all the time because sin has painted and stained the human race with grief and sorrow. It's a fact. There's no getting around it. It's simply true. 
But Isaiah doesn't stop with the bad side of things. He delivers the incredibly good news that Jesus carried and bore our grief and sorrow. Now, let me tell you what that means. You might be wondering, well, what does that mean, Jeff, that he carried my grief and sorrow? The words carried and bore are Hebrew words that mean to lift up and to carry a heavy load. It was used in Leviticus for the scapegoat who carried away the sins of Israel. Let me tell you what they would do. Aaron was told by God to get a little baby goat, a pure goat, and to lay his hands on the head of this goat. And he would lay his hands on the head of the goat. Then God said, when you do that, Aaron, confess the sins of Israel, name them. Name the sins of Israel and confess them as you lay your hands on the head of that goat. So Aaron would lay his hands on the goat and he would confess the sins of Israel. Then God said, now take him to the outside of the camp and aim him towards the destitute wilderness and let him walk away. And that little goat, after having hands laid on him and the sins of Israel confessed over him, would walk into the destitute wilderness carrying the sins away. And he never came back. I want you to say with me, he never came back. That means those sins that were walked away, that were carried away, were carried away forever. Now, he stood for the one who was to come, who would carry our sins away, and they would never come back to us. Jesus came to lift the heavy burden of sadness brought about by the sin and the pain of living in a sinful world. He carried it. And Jesus himself said so. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. What's he talking about there? Labor under guilt, heavy laden with the pressures of your sin. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden with guilt, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Because I am humble and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These people go around saying, man, Christianity is too hard for me. No, Christianity rules and regulations might be, but Jesus ain't heavy. Amen? Jesus said, my burden is not heavy. My burden is light. Let me tell you what's heavy. Sin's heavy on you. When you live in sin and when you go your own way, it is sin and the guilt of sin and the consequences of sin. It says the way of the transgressor is hard, but when you come to Jesus, what does he do? He carries the guilt and the shame of your sin away, never to return to you again. Now, this is good news. This is the heart and core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was our substitute. He himself bore our burden of grief and sorrow. Listen, instead of collapsing in grief over our rejection of him, he bore our grief. Instead of increasing our sorrows, he carries our sorrows. Instead of avenging our transgressions, which he could have done, he was pierced for them in our place. Instead of crushing us for our iniquities, he was crushed for them as our substitute. And all the chastisement and the whipping that we should have received for our rebellion against God, he took on himself in order that we might have peace and be healed. Give the Lord a hand of praise. He's a good God. This is why the old song says, what a friend we have in Jesus, all of our sins and grief to bear. 
One writer put it this way, and I want you to hear this. He, Jesus, took up our infirmities and carried our sorrow, which includes the division of your family, the loss of your job, the death of your husband or wife, the pain of your past. He died to carry it all. He carries it all. He's our burden bearer. I got a word for you today. I want you to receive this. Your pain is not going to have the last word. Your sorrows are not going to triumph over you. You know why? Because Jesus has borne your griefs and carried your sorrows. Come on, everybody. Now, secondly, Isaiah says, he took our punishment. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now, let me just give you a blow-by-blow of this. Tell you what it means. He was pierced with nails and a spear. When he was dead, they ran a spear through his side and water came out. And they could not believe he had died so suddenly, so quickly. He was pierced. He was crushed, and in the Hebrew, that means pulverized, broken, ground to pieces. Upon him was the chastisement, and that's talking about the whip. He got the whip across his back, 40 times saved one, 39 lashes. That was the chastisement that it took for us to receive peace. And by his wounds, that word wounds means cut, bruised, his skin was flayed. Jesus was our substitute. He died in our place. But his death is not the end of the story because it was a terrible death. 14 hours of torture leading up to the cross. Because watch this. Please understand, Jesus succeeded in what he came to do. Now, he didn't look like a success story up there on that cross. He looked like a failure. His own disciples thought, what in the world has happened to our hero? We, I mean, this guy raised the dead, walked on water. Nothing ever stopped him. We saw crowds try to take him, and nobody was able to take him. He went through it all, triumphed over it all. Nothing seemed to ever succeed against him. And now, what's he doing up on that tree? Heaving for breath, beaten beyond recognition. What has happened to our hero? They did not understand that experiencing the cross was his great success. It was his success. It's what he came to do. Jesus was born to die. Now, I like to think I'm born to live. Jesus was born to die. He had the mark of death on him from the beginning. Even when he was a baby, they took him up. And they, uh, one of the prophets that saw him in the temple, I think it was Anna, uh, said to him, said to him, a, to her rather, a sword is going to pierce your own side. You're going to suffer, Mary, because of what your son's going to go through for the sins of the world. From the very beginning, he was born to die. But listen, on the cross, he reached the pinnacle. That's what he came to do. He perfectly fulfilled the Father's will when he died on that tree. We're here today because he died on that tree. If he hadn't died on that tree, we'd be out somewhere if if there would be a United States of America. We would be out there lost in sin 
headed straight to a devil's hell, we probably wouldn't even be here. But Jesus' ultimate success, he made it all the way to the cross. He didn't duck it. He didn't dodge it. He said, I could call on legions of angels to come and take me out of here, but then I would not be doing the Father's will. I have come to die for the sins of the world. And on that cross, he took my sin and your sin and look what we have in return because he suffered. We have peace with God. You know what that word peace means? Whole and the absence of conflict. I'm no longer at war with God. You know, there's no peace like being right with God. Thank God for the peace of God. I can live in a shack. I can live wrapped up in cardboard in downtown Fort Worth, wrapped up at nights to stay warm if I've got the peace of God in my heart. But you can stick me in a mansion with satin sheets, and if I don't have the peace of God, I'm miserable, no matter how big or how beautiful that place is. Thank God for the peace of God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace that passes understanding in a messed up world filled with broken people and broken promises through Jesus Christ. We have peace that passes all human understanding and nothing is worth giving up that peace. And not only do we have peace, but we are healed, healed. We are healed. Now, while physical healing can and does happen, I'm going to tell you the main gist in Isaiah is talking about healing on the inside. He's talking about the person who comes to Christ and is healed on the inside by getting born again. It's talking about being healed from guilt, healed from hatred, healed from doubt, healed from shame, healed on the inside from the ravages of sin. The minute that we come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, come into my heart, And be my Savior and Lord, the Holy Ghost comes to live inside of you. And when he does, he changes your nature. What a miracle it is. If any man be in Christ, he is a brand new creation. The old has passed away and all has become new. I said all has become new. I'm not talking about rehabilitation. I'm not talking about a New Year's resolution. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm talking about transformation. On the inside. And that immediately brings healing. It brings healing. With his stripes, you are healed. You are healed as a human being. You are healed in your heart. Healed in your soul. Through Jesus Christ, broken people are put back together again. I like to say Jesus doesn't turn people into freaks. He turns freaks into people. And I know because I used to be a freak, freaky looking. I can show you pictures. You may not come back. (laughs) So say with me, he carried my sorrows. He took my punishment. But then I want to say one last thing. He took my place. He took my place. Watch this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you catch that last part? Isaiah is telling us that Jesus literally took the rap for us. He took my place. The Lord laid on him my iniquity. The Lord laid on him my sin. The Lord laid 
the iniquity of us all onto him. You know, you could take Isaiah 53, verse 6, and you could make it the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament. Because in Isaiah 53, 6, and what we just read, we, all we like sheep have gone astray, turned everyone to his own way. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all because it makes the way of salvation so totally clear you cannot miss it. Notice that all is the first and the last word of verse 6. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray, telling us we've all sinned. But then it ends in all. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the first all of verse 6 tells us we have all sinned. We've all gone astray. We've all missed the mark. We've all turned to our own way. We're all in the same boat, and guess what? That boat is sinking. But the second half of the verse presents the glorious news of the gospel. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. God laid on Jesus my sins and your sins. He took my place when he died. God looked at Jesus and said, you're guilty for Wickwire's sin. I'm judging you for Wickwire's sin. I'm, I'm, I'm releasing my wrath on you on the cross for Wickwire's sin. Well, where's Wickwire? Wickwire's under the blood like I never did it. And what about you? He, he took your sin. He laid it on Jesus. He laid it on Jesus. He laid your sins on Jesus. Now, I imagine for a moment that all your sins have been written in a huge, massive book. Just a massive book. All your sins are written in this book. And that book is so heavy because it records every foul thing you ever said, every unkind word you've ever spoken. Every mean thought, every lustful fantasy, every evil imagination, and all your bad attitudes and actions from the day of your birth till the day of your death is recorded in this big, fat, heavy book you're holding. Picture yourself trying to hold it up, and you never get the luxury of ever, ever, ever putting it down. You must carry it, and you must hold it. Now, with that picture in mind, think. Jesus is standing right next to you. He's holy. He's perfect. He's pure. He's good. He's sinless. And he has no book in his hands because he never sinned. There's no book in Jesus' hand. He has nothing to answer for. He never had to look up and say, God, forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. Said that. Thought that. Caught that attitude. He was perfect. You want to get rid of the book, but you can't seem to find a place to put it down. What will you do? Now, picture Jesus on the cross, and let me tell you what happened. On the cross, Jesus took the weight of millions of books just like yours upon his bleeding back. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? Because God had temporarily lifted his hand. He was temporarily separated from God the Father. And at that moment, that mysterious moment in God's plan and will, God laid on him all the books and the blame for them and the guilt of them and the shame of them. And he bears the crushing weight as long as he can. And I believe he died as quickly as he did. Because remember, Pilate was shocked that he died so quickly. Why did he die so quickly? Because of what he was holding, what he was carrying, what was weighing down on him. 
And just like that, he took your sins, the record of all your evil and all your failings and all your shortcomings. He took it all upon himself when he died on the cross. The Lord laid on him, laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us. Now, if you want to go to heaven, I want you to pay close attention to those two alls in Isaiah 53, 6. The first all tells you you're guilty before God and you need his forgiveness. But the second one, the last word, all, tells you that all your sins were laid on him and you can live free of the guilt. I like the way one man gave this testimony. He said, I stooped down low and went in at the first all. Then I stood up straight and walked out tall in the last all. I humbled myself and admitted my sin and admitted my transgression and agreed with God. And I said, Lord, forgive me. That's the first all. The first all is tough to go through. First all, a lot of people don't want to do. The first all is tough because you've got to agree with God and say, you know what, Lord, you're right about me. I have sinned. I have fallen short of the glory of God. I do need forgiveness. Everything is not okay with me. I need to be born again. I need Christ. I need forgiveness. I need the guilt lifted. I need to get rid of this book. And so you go in low. I remember going in low in juvenile home. There I sat in juvenile home, a juvenile delinquent in there for a felony, sale of narcotics. Yes, it's true. I know you're looking at me saying, Jeff, you couldn't have done that. I did do that. You know why? Because I was fallen. Because I was a fallen human being and I needed Jesus. But in the juvenile home, I heard the gospel. And I saw the first all. Jeff, the first all is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The first all tells me I'm a sinner. So I went in low and I came forward in the altar And I told the preacher, I need to pray. And he said, let's go into another room. He took me into another room. We sat down. Now, now, church, I'm telling you the truth. God knows it's the truth. Never, I was 16 years old, never in my life had I ever prayed one solitary prayer. I had never looked up and considered God. I was God. Drugs were God. Doing my own thing was God. Rock groups were God. But then I heard about the real God who knew all about me. And so I said to this man, I said, I don't know how to pray. He said, just follow me. Say what I lead you to say. And and look right up. He's hearing us. He took my hands and I went in low. The first all, I went in low. I bowed my head for the first time in my life. I knew you should bow your head when you pray. I bowed my head for the first time in my life. And he said, pray this, Jeff, Lord, forgive me for my sin. And I prayed it. And I went in low. I admitted with God. I, 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 I agreed with God that I needed it. I went in low and I prayed. But let me tell you what happened. When, my, when I lifted my head when the prayer was done, this, I don't know why they paint jail cells green, but they do. It's the most sickening, depressing color in all the earth. It just helps you be down while you're in there. It makes you want to get out worse. Maybe that's why they did it. But I remember lifting my head lifted my head, and this pale green jail room seemed to be sparkling and glittering because I went in low and I came out high. I went in low and I came out high. I went in at the first all flying low. But he said, he said, he laid on him the iniquity of us all. And when I received his forgiveness, 
I stood up and I felt totally, completely different. There was no high that I'd ever experienced like it. It was the high of forgiveness. It was the high of the peace of God. Man, I'm about to preach, I think. I want you to understand there is power in God. There is power in the blood. There is power in the cross. He can change you. And I came, and I, I said to the guard, I said to the guard that came to get me, I said, would you leave the light on in my room so that I can read this little New Testament he gave me? And for the first time in my life, I opened a Bible. And I began to read about Jesus walking on the water, multiplying the bread, opening blind eyes. I couldn't read fast enough because something had lifted me out of the doldrums and out of despair. And it was the forgiveness of God. I went in low and I came out tall. Now, I want to close today with this. While physical healing is wonderful, and God does heal today, folks, and in just a minute when we dismiss this service, you can go right across the room, right across the foyer into our fellowship hall, and they're there waiting for you to pray for you, not only for physical healing, but healing on the inside because the blood of Jesus heals you on the inside. So while physical healing, God just amen me. You know what he said? Preach it, Jeff. (laughs) Physical healing is wonderful, and God does heal today. But there is no greater healing than the healing of a soul that comes to Jesus and finds peace with God. Jeff Wickwire was the biggest mess you would ever have wanted to have encountered when I was 16. I've been a counselor after counselor, psychiatrist after psychiatrist. I've been locked up, sent away. I've been in jail. I've been in institutions. My parents didn't know what to do with me. I was sick on the inside. Now listen carefully to me. As soon as I went in low and said at the first all, and said, Lord, I am a sinner. He sent his spirit in, and he began a lifelong work of restoring my soul. That's what David said. He restores my soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. There's not a person in here that is not damaged goods. We're all damaged goods. Listen, Jesus died to heal the damaged goods. He, he died to heal the damaged goods. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty took a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, but Jesus could. And Jesus puts people together again. Can you stand with me today? Jesus puts people together again. Can, can you say that with me? Jesus puts people together again. So say with me, would you? Say, he carried my grief. He took my place. He was blamed for my sin. Now, if you're thankful that you have gone through the first all and come out on the other side of the second all and you're redeemed, lift your hands and let's thank the Lord for his goodness. And if you're damaged today, still with your hands raised, 
if you're damaged as you worship the Lord, if it, there's hurt in you. There's hurt in you. Last night when I was praying for this service, I knew that there would be people here with broken hearts, broken lives, believers who have been hurt. Somebody betrayed you. A spouse walked out on you. You lost a job. You raised your children the best you knew how, but they've gone wacko and gone out there and they're in the darkness and you are shattered. Or you're dealing with a disease of some kind, a a sickness of some kind, and you're broken. I want us together to come to the healer right now. He came to heal us, starting with the inside. Say with me, healing is an inside job. Now, Lord Jesus, we come to you as the great healer. And we ask you in your mighty name to release healing on this house right now. Now, folks, I I want you to take what it is that has hurt you, what it is that has broken you, and I want you to give it to him right here in this place. We're, we're in a hospital right now. I want you to give it to him right here in this place. Say, Jesus, I give you my broken heart. I give to you my mind that I can't seem to get right. I give to you my broken relationships. I give to you my shattered hope. I give to you my dashed dreams. I give it all to you, Lord Jesus. He's here. And I've given you the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So I want you by faith to look at the healer and just right now in your mind's eye, look at him with the eye of faith and say, Jesus, I receive your healing on this area of my life. I receive the healing of God. If you need to forgive somebody, do it right here, right now. That'll release healing immediately if you need to forgive. say, Lord, I receive the healing touch on the brokenness in my life. In the mighty name of Jesus.